This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. And then, of course, the other question is, well, would such a person need to be saved? A sinless person, would he need a savior? Um, presumably not. Uh, and yet, uh, Jesus came into, the, came into the world to save everybody. Um, you know, there's nobody who, who is exempt um, from, the, from hearing the gospel. It doesn't mean to say that everybody is saved, but um, uh, there isn't a class of person called sinless uh, to whom Jesus does not relate. Um, and this again is important because, of course, if you think that, if you think that, uh, there's a very real danger that there are some people you just wouldn't preach to, you wouldn't preach the gospel to, because you say they don't need it. Um, uh, you, you know, and that can't be right either. That uh, somehow or other, every human being needs this. Uh, at what age uh, would a sinless child suddenly start sinning? You know, when when would you become a sinner? Uh, and of course, one of the reasons, one of the, the emotional reasons for, for opposing sinfulness from birth uh, is uh, that children who die in infancy, people find it very hard to believe that they haven't gone to heaven. You know, I mean, and, and they like to think that small children are somehow innocent. Uh, and therefore, they, they must have gone to heaven, you know, because they, they, two years old, the poor thing died, um, you know, uh, surely he's gone to heaven, you know, like this. Well, I'm not in the business of trying to keep people out of heaven, of course, but uh, it's hard to see on what basis you would say something like that, uh, you know, with total assurance, because how on earth do you know? A, how do you know? Um, and B, if this is the case, then you might think it was better to put your children to death before they reach an age where they could start sinning. Because if you want them to, to, to go to heaven and be in heaven in eternity, uh, that's a kind of way of guaranteeing it. Now, you may think this is awful, and you know, it is awful, I mean, to think like that. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't. But there was a case of this fairly recently. I remember reading about, I think it was in Texas somewhere, of a mother who had six children, and she put them all to death, drowned them all, um, for this reason. Because she said that, you know, she said, I don't want them to grow up. I want them to go to heaven. If they grow up, they'll start sinning. And, and I want to avoid that. Now, this, of course, is monstrous. It, 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 it's absolutely awful. But it's hard to fault the logic if you think a child is born without sin. Uh, you, you see what I mean? If you think a child is born in this way, in the right relationship with God, and then at some point loses it, how does that happen? When does that happen? Why does nobody notice? You, you, you know, I mean, 
we've all watched children grow up. I mean, there doesn't come a day when suddenly uh, the, these innocent little kids are uh, start sinning. I mean, you don't, you know, you, you, you don't suddenly get aware of that, you know, in, 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 in this way. It's not, it's, it's not a very viable answer uh, to, to say like this. And the church has never said it. I mean, we've always said that every child born into the world is born with the inheritance of the parents, which in this case is this broken relationship, this sinfulness uh, in the sight of God. Question then is, what do you do about this? Um, I mean, how do you, you know, how do you tackle this? Uh, and various possibilities are, are uh, present themselves. I mean, on the one hand, you could just ignore it uh, and say, well, all right, the child is born sinful. Uh, you know, lots of people are born sinful. Everybody's born sinful. Uh, just let it be. And then uh, at some stage, um, you know, you can preach the gospel to this child. And if this child accepts the, the gospel, uh, that's fine. Um, then you can baptize them. Uh, and they can become church members, and that, that's the way it goes. This is basically what Baptists and people like them do. You know, basically. It's not always, though, the easiest or simple solution for various reasons. First of all, the question of infant mortality comes up. Um, I mean, if the child dies before reaching the age when it can make a profession of faith, and, but you aren't going to baptize that child until the child gets to that stage, um, what does this say about that child's relationship to God? Now, of course, you can't manipulate a child's relationship with God. I mean, baptizing them or not baptizing them uh, is not going to make any difference to God. Um, particularly, but uh, it, it's a case of how do you see this child? How do you know where, in what world do they belong? If they are children of Christian parents, but they're not baptized, um, are they, do they have a special status or not? You know, uh, are, are they part of God's family or are they not? Um, I mean, it's a, a very difficult question to answer, um, you know, in, in, in that way. So you have this, this issue. Um, there's also a question, and I've asked all my Baptist friends this um, before losing them, um, which is, what do you do if the child, for some reason or other, uh, is unable to make a profession of faith, you know, some, or they might make a profession of faith, but we, which is not really valid um, because they're mentally handicapped or something like this, you know. And I ask Baptist people all the time, do you exclude mentally handicapped people from the church because they cannot make a, a, a responsible profession of faith? And I never get an answer. And the reason I never get an answer is because they've never thought about this. You know, this is, I mean, admittedly, it's, a, it's an exceptional circumstance, um, but it could happen. I mean, it happens more often than you might think. And of course, if it's something that happens to you, and I mean, in your family or something like this, then it could become a real issue. You know, uh, I have a Down syndrome child or something like that. I mean, is this person going to be excluded from heaven? or excluded from the life of the church just because of this, you know? And very often, of course, children like that 
I mean, although they can't make a proper profession of faith intellectually, connect in other ways. You know, they connect emotionally uh, and so on, and, to, and would feel exclusion perhaps more than somebody who's intellectually viable, because an intellectual person can at least make a rational, you know, come to a rational understanding of why they're excluded, because they haven't made a profession of faith. But somebody who, in, in this state, you know, this sort of mentally impaired state, might have a deep sense of belonging at an emotional level, um, but have no understanding of why they're, you know, they're cut off at another level. You see what I mean? It's a very difficult uh, issue to deal with. But I, I, I just say to you, why don't you ask your friends this? What the, because I probably you'll have the same experience that I have. They won't, A, won't know the answer, and B, they will tell you they've never thought about it before. If you have this idea that you can't baptize somebody unless they make a profession of faith, then it's creating this problem. You know, it is a problem. Now, the other side of it, of course, and, you know, we look at the other side. If you have a doctrine of baptism which says if you baptize somebody, they're saved, you know, that baptism saves them, whether they're aware of it or not, you kind of treat it as a sort of spiritual vaccine or something like that. Um, you end up with the problem that Tertullian faced, uh, you know, which is, well, you baptize somebody like this, um, uh, you know, they, they, that's it, they're, you know, they're saved, uh, whether they want to be or not. Um, and then if, if they sin and later on in life, well, what exactly do you do about it? Um, you know, wh what happens then? I mean, do they lose their salvation? Um, uh, you know, what is going on here? And this is actually a major problem in the modern world, because in the modern world, you have a lot of people who are baptized for traditionalist reasons, you know, uh, either because this is, this is what you do without really asking the question, or because grandma wants it and, you know, we're not going to keep her happy and this sort of thing. Um, but there's no faith involved, there's no commitment involved, they have no intention of ever going anywhere near a church. They just do this, you see, because of for traditional reasons. And of course you have to face the fact, you know, that some of our closest friends uh, are in this category. I mean, Adolf Hitler, for example, uh, you know, was baptized. Um, Joseph Stalin was baptized. In fact, Stalin was even a seminarian. Um, in his career, and look what happened to him, you know. So, um, I mean, does this bring the, the, the sacrament, bring the rite into disrepute? Uh, you see, if it is administered in this way uh, to just anybody, um, without any kind of preparation or, or any kind of context, um, uh, you, you know, the, in which uh, it would have some sort of meaning. And so we, I think we have to face this fact that, that it is all very often the abuse of baptism um, which uh, has caused the problem. Uh, you know, people say, well, yeah, so-and-so was baptized, um, but it doesn't mean anything. Um, and there are even uh, cases in France uh, a few years ago, uh, there was a great publicity about this, 
of adults who are atheists, professed atheists, but who were baptized as children, wanting to be debaptized. Uh, they make they make a, 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 a yeah they make an appeal to the church, usually the Catholic Church, asking for their name to be taken off the the baptismal roll baptismal register, um, because they repudiate their baptism. They say I'm not baptized. I, I, I you know, I mean, maybe I, my parents did this for me, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, take me off. I, I want, I want to be removed from this. So far, as far as I know, the church has refused to do this um, because they say, well, it wasn't a, a voluntary choice to begin with. I mean, they, you know, the, the the child was baptized because the parents wished for this to be so, and the parents had authority over the children. At, the time this was done and so therefore without the parents involved and of course usually the parents are long dead by the time this kind of request is made um, there's no way they can't do this you see it's going against the will of those in, who were involved who were who took the responsibility at the time but the fact that this kind of question could even arise you see that somebody could could ask for this in, in some way does of course raise the issue uh, you know, is, is this is, is this the right thing to do or not? And we have to face this fact that there are real uh, problems, problems created by the secularization of uh, uh, of modern society. You know, where something like this no longer has any meaning uh, to a lot of people. I mean, uh, you know, it devalues the whole uh, the whole sacrament. However, having said this, I think the next thing that one has to say is that the abuse of a thing does not uh, mean that it's wrong in itself. Uh, you know, the fact that it is abused uh, and has been abused um, doesn't mean that it should never be done to anybody or for anybody. Uh, and the reason here, you see, the, the reason why baptism uh, is administered to infants by those who do uh, this uh, is uh, to proclaim, it's a proclamation of the gospel. Uh, it is a proclamation of the gospel that uh, the saving death and resurrection of Jesus Christ um, have an application to every human being because every human being is born sinful. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that when the Baptists, as we know them, emerged in the 16th century, the accusation made against them was that they were denying original sin. They were denying the, the sinfulness with which people were born. Um, this would not be the case today. I mean, Baptists do not deny original sin. At least most of them don't. Um, but that was the perception, you see, at the time. And one of the reasons why uh, there was opposition to them um, because people would say, well, it doesn't really matter what they think. Um, uh, you know, they're not capable of thinking. Uh, the fact is that um, they are still sinful. They still need a savior. Um, and this is a proclamation of that truth. Uh, you see that uh, we cannot, I mean, obviously you cannot, by just pouring water over somebody, make them anything. Uh, you, you, you know, you can't, you can't make somebody a, a Christian or make them saved by, by mechanical means. That's, that's clearly not possible. Um, but 
but that's not what we're trying to do. Uh, we are, uh, we are bear, bearing witness to, uh, to God's provision, to God's command, um, and in baptizing, uh, you know, the, it, it, this is following the command of Jesus, who said, "Go and baptize all nations, teaching them." Uh, you know, when uh, he says in Matthew 28, uh, verse 19, and so on, and that it is a way of saying to people, "You need Jesus as your savior." Uh, it's sowing the seed. I mean, you can't, as I say, force people to take him as their savior. You can't. You can't you know, push salvation down somebody's throat. Um, but you have to show them that this is something uh, that um, uh, they've got to face. You know, it's a reality uh, for, uh, for every human being, um, uh, however young uh, that person may be. I mean, you know, you, you, you come into the world uh, needing a savior, um, you know, from the from the moment you are born, it's not something that you acquire at some later stage. Well, uh, I mean, please don't misunderstand me. I know uh, that we're not going to solve the problem of infant baptism this afternoon in this classroom. I see both sides of the argument. I have sympathy for both sides. I'm not, you know, um, uh, taking sides particularly. Uh, if you want my own personal history in this way. Um, I fall between an, any number of stools in this respect because my parents um, couldn't agree when I was born whether I should be baptized or not. Uh, you know, they weren't very happy one way or the other, so I wasn't baptized as a baby. Um, I was baptized when I was 14 um, on profession of faith. I asked for baptism. Um, I expected to be baptized, baptized um, but I was sprinkled not immersed. So therefore, uh, of course, uh, my Baptist friends at the time told me, uh, you know, that uh, this wasn't good enough, uh, that only my forehead would be going to heaven, um, and, um, and so on. So, um, you know, quite, quite what's going to happen to me when I die, I really don't know. <laughs> You know, in, in, in this respect. However, if w when you get to heaven you see a forehead wandering around, uh, that could be me. Um, uh, you know, uh, in, 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 in this way. Uh, you will gather from this, of course, that I don't feel very strongly about it one way or the other. Uh, I'm not going to crusade, um, you know, for one position or the other. Um, but I do think that uh, both sides in this matter need to understand where the other one is coming from. That those who dis deny infant baptism or dislike infant baptism, probably the motivation, the motivating uh, thing in most cases is abuse. Uh, you know, the fact that the infant baptism has been abused uh, is what really bothers them. Uh, you know, when you get down to it. Uh, if, it, if there were evidence that everybody who was baptized as an infant, you know, was a card-carrying, banner-waving, um, you know, uh, uh, Christian uh, at a later life, uh, you, you know, spending full-time evangelist and so on, the argument would have less force. Um, but we have to admit that there are an awful lot of people out there who were baptized who haven't got a clue. 
uh, you know, wouldn't go anywhere near a church and so on. And so you ask yourself, well, you know, what was the purpose of that? Um, on the other hand, it's also true that you don't grow into sin. Um, you, you, are, you are born this way. Uh, and uh, a child, a baby, is not exempt uh, from the need for a savior. Uh, you know, and, and that also has to be affirmed uh, and, and remembered. Um, and indeed, uh, it's something that we're all part of because, um, well, many years ago, uh, I'm going to show my age now, um, but when I was first ordained and I was in the church, it was just around the time that, that videos were coming out. You know, everyone was getting a video camera and making videos of everything that moved. And we used to get this, uh, for bapti with baptisms, people would say, you know, can we come and, and, and video the ceremony? And much to my boss's horror, because I was an assistant, you see, in the parish, and the rector was were very traditional, and I said, oh, yes, absolutely, you know come and video the baptism. I'm delighted if you come and video the baptism. And I used to extrapolate. I used to add things to the baptismal service that weren't really there. Well, for the sake of the video. Um, because, well, you see, what I discovered is very interesting. And people didn't realize this at first. You see that if, if you baptize a baby and, the, and you're videoed, what shows up on the video is you, not the baby. Well, I mean, some element of the baby might be there sort of folded in your arms and so on, but basically, you know, they're, they're listening to you and they're seeing you and they're watching you and all the rest of it. So I thought, well, this is an evangelistic opportunity. And so, you know, you, you preach the gospel and you explain in a sort of, you know, extrapolated way. When I say add to the baptismal service, I don't mean... Uh, you know, throwing in uh, a whole lot of irrelevant material, but just sort of explaining what it's all about, being a little bit more expansive and so on. And then, of course, people would take it home and show it to all their family and relatives who wouldn't come to church, you know, and replay it. And, and basically, you're giving them an evangelistic video, um, uh, you know, through baptism. And in the parish where I served, it really had a tremendous effect because after about six months, people would stop me in the street and say, I've seen you on TV. And I said, what do you mean you've seen me on TV? And of course, it turned out they'd seen one of these videos. Um, uh, you know, and they'd, they'd heard the message. They'd never come to church for it. Well, you get the message across, you see, in, in, this, in this way. So, um, you know, I felt that, you, you know, I, I, even if I am sent to hell for this, um, I, I feel that, that, that you, 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 know, you know what I mean, somebody's actually benefited, and this is what it's all about, because baptism is not an individual, I mean, it's applied to individuals, yes, of course, but it's not an individual thing. Um, I mean, it's part of the, you, you know, you're, you're being brought into the body of Christ, into the family of Christ, and it is a challenge to, to everybody. I mean, every time a, a new a person is baptized, whatever age they are, this is a challenge to you and me, uh, who are already baptized, to recommit ourselves. We're part of it. 
and to take responsibility for those who have been baptized to be brought up within the, uh, within the family of God. Um, uh, you, you know that, that, that it's a community thing um, and not purely individual, even though at one level it, it obviously is individual uh, because it's applied to each person, but it, it's bringing that person into the community, uh, into the community of faith and charging the community with the responsibility of, uh, of integrating, of integrate, let's put it like that, you know, integrating the, the, the newly baptized into the community. And it's here where we fail more often than not, you know, because, and we fail because people are not instructed, they're not taught that this is part of their responsibility. And so they just ignore it. They just say, oh, well, you know, they treat it as an individual thing, failing to see that there is a, a uh, uh, a wider dimension to it than that. Uh, at least that's my uh, feeling about it. To repeat the, the whole question of, of sin and salvation, the connection here, another factor that we have to consider, and this is, goes for baptism, but is particularly clear in infant baptism, and that is that salvation is a work of God's grace. It is a gift of God. It is not an achievement of human beings. Uh, we don't work our way into baptism. Baptism isn't like graduating from high school or something like this. Uh, you know, you sit an exam and uh, if you pass the exam, well, then you get baptized. Um, you know, isn't that good? Uh, and, and so on. I mean, I mean it, you, there may be an element of this. Um, uh, there is, of course, even in churches which baptize infants, we have confirmation, uh, which you might say is a kind of exam. Um, you know, in the sense that you are catechized and you are, you are asked to express your, your faith and so on. Um, before being confirmed. But confirmation is a slightly different thing from baptism. It's, it's, not, it's the completion of baptism. It's not really a sacrament in its own right, although it's treated as such. It, it belongs to baptism uh, in this way. But we do need to remember that without the gift of God, nothing that we do will have any effect, or can have any effect. And this is the sort of thing that, that we have to take very seriously, because Christians and the church, and ministers of the church in particular, have a way of trying to corral the grace of God, uh, trying to control it, uh, trying, to, uh, trying to, uh, uh, to pretend um, that something we do um, is, is actually going to make a difference to the way God works in another person's life. Now, that may be true, of course. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's never true or not true or shouldn't be true. But we have to be very careful about assuming this or claiming this or trying to manipulate God in this way you know, uh, that, uh, that somehow we're, we're indispensable um, uh, to God. Uh, and we never are. Uh, and we have to accept that 
um, I mean, I am a servant of God. A minister is a servant of God. And I administer the sacraments. I, I preach the word. I administer the sacraments. I do what my ministry calls me to do. But I don't control the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, some people hear the word and some people don't. Some people respond and some people don't. Um, the, it seems to me that the picture uh, of this that we need to bear in mind is the picture of the sower and the seed that you get in Matthew chapter 13. Because what happens there, the sower is one person, unidentified. I mean, we don't know who the sower is. Could be anybody. You know, anyone can sow. The seed is undifferentiated. I mean, the sower scatters the seed wherever he can. You know, that's, that's just what he does. Incidentally, I mean, I don't suppose anybody here is a, is a farm person. Is anybody here brought up on a farm? Um, and therefore, you see, because we're urban people nowadays. I mean, there are people brought up on farms, but most people are urban. But if you think back to the time of Jesus, Jesus telling this parable, just about everybody who heard Jesus talk, uh, say this must have reacted very negatively to what he was saying, not because of the point of the message, but because no sensible sower would just go around throwing seed any old where. You know, this is not what a farmer does. The farmer prepares the ground and then sows only in ground that is already prepared to receive the seed. Whereas when Jesus talks about the sower and the seed, you see, he talks about somebody who from a human point of view is a highly irresponsible sower because the sower just throws it anywhere. And of course, Jesus makes this point. I mean, it's not that Jesus was unaware of this. Jesus was very aware of it. And that was, what he was, that was the point he was trying to make because he said, well, some of it falls by the wayside and is picked up by the birds. You know, and you can just imagine the people listening to him saying this, saying, well, you should have known that. You know, this is what you get for being a carpenter in Nazareth. You know, you need to get closer to the soil. Um, and then... You know, some falls on stony ground and some falls on thorny ground. And you can just imagine the farmers in the audience thinking, oh my goodness me, why doesn't this man realize that, you know, you don't do that? <laughs> you, you save your seed for the good ground. Uh, and, and, and you put it there. Now Jesus, of course, gets to that point in the end. But the point he's trying to make, and this is something which we need to take on board as, as, as evangelists, as preachers and teachers, is that we don't discriminate. Um, we sow the seed wherever we can, and we, we let, let it go, in a way. Now, it will do its work, uh, in different ways. I mean, some of it will be uh, lost or apparently lost. 
Some of it will uh, spring up and, and then die. You know, it won't get where you expect it to get, and some of it will bear fruit. But this is not our responsibility, you see. Uh, we don't manipulate it. We don't control it in this way. And it, I think it's extremely important to see this, because our ministry, and therefore our sacramental practice and everything else, has to be seen in this light. And that attempts to, uh, to fix it, you see, in, invariably land you in trouble. Like if, um, if, for example, you're only ever going to preach the gospel to people that you think are going to receive it, are going to listen to what you say and, and, and take it on board, you probably would end up preaching to almost nobody, you know. I mean, quite apart from the impossibility of this to start off with. Um, I mean, how can you stand at the door of your church and turn away people that you don't think are going to pay any attention uh, when they get inside? I mean, the, the whole idea is nonsensical. You can't do that. So, uh, you know, so we don't. I mean, we, 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 we sow wherever uh, we can um, and, and wait for, the, for the, 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 the fruit to come. And we know that there will be fruit. We know that this will happen. But we also don't get discouraged when it doesn't work. Um, you know, because again, my job is done. I am the sower, I have the seed, I sow it. What goes in, you know, to the recipients is not really my business. You see what I mean? I, of course, have an interest in it, but, but I don't control that. This is what, this is God's control. I mean, as Paul said to the Corinthian church, you know, uh, when he talks about uh, Paul, uh, you know, sows, Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. And somehow or other, we have to remember, and it's very hard when you're a pastor to remember this, that the church actually belongs to God. You know, my church, my home church, I've been a member there for 42 years. And the pastor, the minister, our priest said to me, one time, um, why do you come to my church? And I said, well, I said, first of all, I said, I've been here much longer than you have, so it's, I could ask you this question. But I said, it's not your church any more than it's my church. It's God's church. And you need to learn this. But it's true, you know, having done all, we're unprofitable servants. We're ministers. And and this, again, is an essential to understand. I mean, you may think we're getting way away from the doctrine of salvation, but actually, no, this is the heart of it, because salvation is the work of God, and we are ministers, we are servants of this, and we cannot manipulate it. We can bear witness to it. We can, uh, you know, encourage, we can further, we can plant, we can sow, we can do all these things, but we cannot control. And thank God that we cannot control. Because if we could control it, it wouldn't be salvation. It wouldn't be a work of God. It would be a work of man. And we would only have in the church the people that we wanted to be in the church. You know, which is, of course, a, a recipe for having an empty church. Um, because you look around, and how many of the people there do you really want? Not very many, you know. And... Um, it's a, it's a very, you've got to accept what God is doing. Um, 
and, and take the people that he sends in his way uh, and use them. Uh, and it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's very important. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.